0: Tonight, on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1978. Good evening, Roger Clemson. 75 demonstrators have been arrested in the latest clash between police and gay liberation
1: protesters in Sydney. Violence erupted as the demonstrators invaded a rival rally
0: by the Right to Life Association in Hyde Park. Philip Scholl reports. We're talking about the inaugural Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras taking place in 1978. And we're lucky enough to be joined by two people who were there, Sally Colishan and Helen Gollen.
1: You've got to understand that um, gay male sexual behaviour in just about every state in 1978
0: um, was illegal. This is 50 Years of Tune FM, the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, 1978. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM, it's Throwback Thursday and we're up to the year 1978 and tonight we're going to be talking about the inaugural Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras which took place for the very first time back in 1978. We're very fortunate to be joined by Helen and Sally who are going to be telling us all about it. How is everybody today?
1: Pretty good. Happy anniversary, Helen. Happy
2: anniversary, Sally. (laughs) Thanks, Jay.
0: no worries it's great to have you on the show so can you tell us um 1978 the very first mardi gras what where did it come from and what was it like
1: you want to go helen or you want me to go you can go so um mardi gras came from the wonderful margaret mcmahon who worked at camp campaign against moral persecution which has a 50th anniversary this year And Margaret was at a meeting with Ron Austin and several other people and the idea came up, and it was only weeks away from the 24th of June, the idea came up that as well as a morning march through the city and an afternoon forum, we should have a party that night and Margaret McMahon said something along the lines of, you mean like a Mardi Gras? And that's where it came from. And Ron liked to sometimes say that it was his notion, but other people suggest that it was Margaret's. And um, yeah, so, the first day was gotten together because a letter came from overseas, from San Francisco about the fact that there'd been all this right-wing stuff happening in California, and about the fact that it was the anniversary of the Stonewall riots from 1969. Helen, do you wanna go on and fill in a bit more of the story? No, you can get going, you're doing well. All right, so 69 um, and we got this letter and we'd already started, a bunch of us had already started meeting to organise the fourth homosexual conference in Sydney. And so we asked people from camp and others, Ken Davis and various people who'd actually gotten the letter, we all came together and decided that we would have what we called a Gay Solidarity Day. So that's why we called ourselves the Gay Solidarity Group. We'd come from a range of different, groups we called them collectives in those days now they're called committees i think but um yeah we all came together from different places we had different varying points of political views uh women and men primarily men in numbers uh to a certain extent and that was because sexism was still pretty pretty um rife in the the gay male community thankfully that's decreased hasn't gone but it's decreased but um We all came together to decide, okay, morning, it was the middle of winter, but we'll have a march through the city. And the march was around what the theme of the fourth homosexual conference dealt with, which was work and our rights to be out at work. So some of the banners reflected that. We marched through the city, ended up at Martin Place. In the afternoon, uh, a number of people went to Paddington Town Hall to hear politicians and legal people of the day speak about the fact that we needed some changes in law. Men weren't allowed to have sex in those days still. Well, they could, but they weren't legally allowed. And um, so people like uh, Neville Rand's uh, head lawyer, I can't remember his name, but I can see his face, uh, and various other people met in the afternoon at Paddington Town Hall. And that night, freezing bloody it was, at um, outside Darlinghurst Courts, we all met. We had one, one vehicle and two songs.
0: And we're yep. going to be playing those two songs tonight, as a matter of fact. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday, 1978. Elsewhere in 1978, NASA unveiled the first group of female astronauts during January. The group included Shannon Lucid, Margaret Rea Seddon, Catherine Sullivan, Judith Resnick, Anna Fisher and Sally Ride. The women enrolled in astronaut training and completed it in August of 1979. There had previously been a group of 13 women selected to undergo NASA's astronaut testing in the 1960s, but none were chosen to complete their training until 1978. Sally Ride became the first American woman in space in 1983. Catherine Sullivan became the first American woman to perform a spacewalk. And Shannon Lucid became the first American woman to visit the Mir space station. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We'll be back shortly. This is Sing If You're Glad To Be Gay by the Tom Robertson Band. This song is dedicated
3: to, work, to the World Health Organization. It's a medical song, and it concerns a disease whose classification, according to the International Classification of Diseases, is 302.0. <laughs> Customers up by the wall, picking out people, knocking them down, resisting arrest as they're kicked on the ground, searching their houses, calling them queer. I don't believe that sort of thing happens here. Page three of the sun There's no news in gay news are one magazine But they still found excuses To call it obscene Read how disgusting We are in the press The Telegraph People and Sunday Express Molesters of children Corrupters of youth Is there in the paper it must be the truth You're discreet You're perfectly safe As you walk down the street You don't have to mince Or make picture remarks To get beaten unconscious And left in the dark I had a friend Who was gentle and short He was the only one evening He went for a walk Queer bashers caught him Kicked in his teeth Was only hospitalised But he still bears the scars Sing if you're glad to be gay Sing if you're happy that way Hey! Sing if you're glad to be gay Sing if you're happy that way And sit back and watch as they close down our clubs Arrest us for meeting and raid on our pubs Make sure your boyfriend's at least 21 So only your friends and your brothers get done Lie to your workmates, lie to your folks Put down the queens, tell anti-queer jokes Gay lives ridiculous, join their laughter The buggers are legal now What more are they after? Be Sing if you're happy that way. Hey, sing if you're glad to be gay. Sing if you're happy that way. Sing if you're glad to be gay. Sing if you're happy that way. Hey, sing if you're glad to be gay. Sing if you're.
0: You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM's Throwback Thursday, celebrating 50 years, the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, 1978. Can you tell us, can you elaborate a little bit more on, uh, you mentioned things were going on at the time, um, like the Stonewall rights that happened in America. Um, in Australia in particular, what was the outlook towards LGBTQ people and rights from the the general, and particularly the heterosexual community?
2: And I in here? Yeah. yeah well, um, I myself uh, come from a rural setting originally, uh, the Hunter Valley actually, and um, uh, I first basically came out when I was 14. I was sitting in the Star Hotel in Newcastle and um, the, the attitude, and I was also working, I was nursing at the time, the attitude towards homosexuality full stop, was um, you could not, you could not be out. Uh, that's all there was to it. Um, the police regularly raided the star. Um, they would lock up all the butchers, they would lock up all the um, drag queens, uh, they'd throw us all into one cell, they take our money, they take our wallets, uh, they take our belts, um, and they wouldn't give them back to us. Um, they give us back one dollar, um, and that was our bail, and they always made sure that they arrested us on uh, our paydays um, because we all got paid in cash in those days, and uh, literally they would just take the lot. Um, and, of course, uh, you took the bashings and the beatings and all the rest of it, um, and one particular night, um, being when we have been all rounded up and locked up I used to take the drag queens out first and bash them up, etc. cetera. Um, and one one person that particular night was bashed so badly, I was at the front of the cell because uh, we used to basically be standing on top of each other, on top of, even sitting on shoulders because that's how I many they'd just jam into a, a, a lock up. And um, uh, that person uh, died in my arms that night. And I was uh, about 14 and a half at that time. And uh, I swore to myself that um, I would do everything and anything in my power to get these laws changed. People were, if I was found out to be, uh, uh, I was actually found out um, that I drank at a hotel, someone saw me coming out of there one time, uh, I, I was fired from my job simply because I was seen to come out of the Star Hotel, which was a known uh, place we, we used to frequent. Um, the, the fear of being uh, locked up, the fear of losing a job, uh, I don't know, I had a partner at one stage there, and I don't know how many places I applied to to get us accommodation, uh, it was impossible. In the end, I had to send my partner in Um, because she was very feminine-looking and that was the only way we would manage to get any accommodation. As long as they didn't see me, it was okay Um, because I was very male-looking and very butch. um, And, you know, things like being bashed up in the street and uh, losing a job, not being able to get housing, uh, the fear of losing everything that you'd worked for um it could be gone in a flash and uh, when i finally went to sydney um i heard about camp and i was very much a bardike in those days uh, however um i heard about the uh what was going to take place and so i thought ah this is my opportunity and um so i joined that that um that Mardi Gras that night, or protest march, as I, I still call it, protest march. And um, and it's, for me, it's just been an ongoing uh, um, protest, I suppose, ever since, <laughs> you know, trying to actually help get law changed, be in uh, demonstrations, et cetera, et cetera, in the early days in Sydney um you know going to parliament uh state and federal um etc yeah so for rural and regional areas um a lot has changed however unfortunately um there there is still discrimination um the suicide rate amongst the youth is very high uh, and that's statistically known um, support for, say for instance, I live, I live in Beechworth in Victoria, uh, north-eastern Victoria, country town, um, and yet we're 45 k's from the New South Wales border of Albury, uh, however, trying to actually get help for the youth uh, who need uh, hospitalisation, they have to go to Melbourne. They, they basically, there's no beds up here uh, for the youth, Uh, They literally have to go to Melbourne down to origin. So, you know, so people are still, uh, still get discriminated against, that hasn't gone away. People still are fearful uh, about their their ability to, they're fearful of losing their job, or they're fearful of losing their homes or their housing. um I deal with uh, a group of kids who are between uh, 18 up to about 24, who come to the local pub when we could go to the local pub. Um, and I'd just sit there on the corner outside and they would just come to me because there's nowhere else for them to go. There's no one else to talk to. And... So I'll just sit there and make myself available. And one by one, usually they all just come up and drift up and they'll ask me, they might be having troubles with their boyfriends or their girlfriends or whatever, or just life in general or just at work. And they just need someone to bounce off and listen to them. And so, you know, before COVID hit, um, I was, I don't know how many hours I would spend a week just listening. To the young people. Um, do you want to go Sally? Do you want to add anything then?
1: Look, I think, you know, really up until today the discrimination still exists. The, the fear which often leads to violence, mostly it's violence from men, but you know there are a lot of women in rural areas as well who don't cope with lesbian women, gay men, trans people, all of our community basically. I think you know, there's minimal support, as Helen said, especially psychologically. To, you know, I'm, I'm a rural person in Wingham, which is near Tari in New South Wales, and realistically, if I thought a young person had spoken with me the way Helen's just explained, who would I recommend them to see psychologically? I know my GP's pretty good. She might have a clue, but, you know, she, she's kind of closeted herself as, as, a, as a lesbian woman, closeted in the sense that she's probably not as out as I am. Um, but you know, yeah, it's so frustrating sometimes realistically, Jacob, when I look back and I go four decades, 40 years or so, why isn't it different? Why isn't it better? Do you know what is this fear people have? It's it's no different from racism or sexism. What is the fear people need to have about difference? It causes a lot of damage.
0: Absolutely. Very powerful question to ask. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1978. Elsewhere in 1978, Japanese explorer Naomi Uremura became the first person to visit the North Pole in a solo expedition during May. He trekked alone through the Arctic with a team of Malamutes to carry his supplies. The Canadian Air Force also provided some assistance by replenishing his supplies via helicopter. The 37-year-old explorer began his trip in early March and had encountered several hardships along the way, including encountering a polar bear that ate some of his supplies and getting stuck on a cracking ice floe. Muro was also the first person to make a solo ascent of Mount Denali, which he did in 1970. In 1984, he unfortunately disappeared, making another ascent of Mount Denali during the winter. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We'll be right back. This is Meg Christian with Ode to a Gym Teacher.
4: showed me it on my locker and I carved it on my desk and I painted big red hearts with her initials on the books and I never knew till later why I got those funny books she was a big of mine, the first to come along that showed me Others talked of boys that they loved. I'd be thinking of new aches and pains a teacher had to rub. And while other girls went to the prom, I languished by the phone, calling up and hanging up if I found out she was home. She was a big time. And some daisies in the spring, some suggestive points for Christmas by Miss Edna Mullay, and a lacy, lacy, lacy card for Valentine's Day. On sign, of course.
0: You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM's Throwback Thursday, the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, 1978. So moving on from the initial Mardi Gras as well, um, I'm just looking at a stat that says 2019's Mardi Gras parade had an attendance around 500,000. How did it grow to the, that stage? How, how has it gotten that big? And where did it start to get that big?
1: That's a big marketing thing, realistically, and uh, the marketing thing, I guess, is what some of us 78ers are a little bit averse to, but um, I suppose in the 80s and 90s there were big discussions amongst Mardi Gras. Um, During some of that period we managed to have a woman uh, at the head of Mardi Gras who was probably, well, dare I say, marginally more outspoken, Kath Phillips. It was around that time that Dykes on Bikes started being included in the parade, so early 90s um but at the same time there was a big push and it was primarily from men though some women to make it a bigger thing make it a uh, you know publicize it get get sponsorship involved now it's kind of bigger than ben hur as that saying goes you know and in my opinion i would prefer something like is celebrated throughout the world for pride which is that we march through the streets as we did that morning on june 24th and then we end up at something like a fair day. And if people wanna to go to different parties that night, they can go and do that. But as a recognition and a remembrance of our pride and our origins, that's the kind of thing I would rather now. At the time, and for many years, Mardi Gras was fantastic. To me, it's just way too big now. Helen, do you wanna add anything to that?
2: Um, I was just thinking about the question uh, was just Uh, because Jake asked the question like when did it start to get to the size it is I suppose from my sort of recollection of of Mardi Gras because there was a point in time where I actually had three years in far north Queensland I lived in far north Queensland for three years so um, in that three years I only went to one Mardi Gras and I came down from far north Queensland to go to it um, and that was in about 1998, I think, uh, or 20th 97.
1: Anniversary. 20th eh? anniversary,
2: 98, 20th anniversary. uh, uh that one, uh, yeah, 98, um, I was there for that one, but I came down from Queensland, um, the year before. Actually, I was, yeah, I probably only missed one of them whilst I was in Cairns. But what I was thinking was that from the 20th anniversary, that's when it seemed to really, uh, for from my understanding and my sort of observation of Mardi Gras, um, that's when the numbers seem to increase even more and more and more. And one of the things I have observed from being on top of the bus, on the top deck of the bus, because you can overlook the crowd, it's interesting to see well, my, my observation of what I see is a lot of um, Asian, a lot of uh, migrant people uh, throughout that crowd. Uh, and I find that a really interesting stat as well. Um, and um, so I think it's basically from the 20th that it seems to have grown. Now, I don't know statistically, because I don't have those stats in front of me, uh, whether that's fact or fiction. Um, However, I think your comment, Sally, about um, marketing, uh, marketing has played a big role in, in um, and also to people's awareness of, of 1978. Prior, prior to the 40s, still like uh, when I was in Sydney for the 40s, uh, I stayed in a hotel. Um, hotel I stayed in. It had uh, a flux an influx of um, gay males who came over on a ship, and there were 3,000 of them on this ship. and <laughs> they came they, they'd done their rounds of wherever, and they were literally then going to fly back from Sydney, back home, back to America. But the interesting thing that I found with these guys was I kept asking them, I said, "Do you know what this is about? Do you? Oh, it's a big party." and and I got sort of a bit grumpy with them yeah, yeah. and I was in the elevator with these guys up and down up and down and um, I said okay look this is more than a big party this is this began as a protest march this also coincided 9 years after Stonewall and some of them didn't even know about Stonewall and I said look go when next time you go up to your room just pull up Stonewall and pull up 1978. The history's all there. And then the next time I see you in the elevator, you'll be able to possibly tell me something about it that's more than just a party. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I I find that um, because people still say to me at times, oh, but it's just a big party. You know, it's just go and get pissed and have a big party, and everyone gets dressed up in, you know, weird looking clothes. Well, No, you know, there there is a political message in all of this. Um, And and at one point in there, uh, years ago, in the first 10 years, it started to lose that political essence. Um, And I believe it's starting to come back in now. But I can remember the Fred Nile days uh, when Fred Nile's head was on a plate and all the rest of it. Like, that's the sort of shit that we need to be doing and you know? um, actually been out there and putting politics and putting the agenda of what our roots began around politics. And it was yeah. the politics of discrimination. It was the politics yeah. of injustice. And as far as I'm concerned, Mardi Gras needs to do that absolutely concretely. That has to be its focus. And then all the other fun things, like there's no reason why you can't still all get dressed up and have you know, glitter on and fancy feathers and all the rest of it. That's fine you know, because people want to have fun. Uh, and also poke fun at the, at the politicians and poke fun at this one, that one. That's fine. I've no problem with that. But what I do have a problem is people's understanding of why we're there. I don't go to Sydney simply because I want to party. At the end of it, I literally go back to the hotel room. I can't wait to get away from the crowd, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but I don't go to Sydney for a party. I go there still today as a protest. And that's what's firmly in my mind and in my heart. Sally? I,
1: I, I think I go for both. There were many years when I danced in the parade um, in the 90s. I couldn't do it now because dancing that full length is actually quite taxing. One year I was silly enough to wear my, um, my uh, Doc Martens. Goodness knows why I did that and danced all the bloody street. I was very sore for a few days, I can tell you now. But uh, I haven't wanted to go to a Mardi Gras party for, and I haven't been to a Mardi Gras party, I think since the 20th anniversary. Maybe I went a year or so after that. I, I like going out and being with a smaller bunch of people and having a dance and having a drink or whatever, but they're way too big now for me. And also for me, those early Mardi Gras parties when we used to also have sleaze balls and stuff like that in the sort of six months before, um, I love the dome, which was a small dance venue. I like dancing, you know, and in some ways, I think that's the way I cope with crowds, the way Helen was saying she can't wait to get away from them or when you're in an anonymous person on a dance floor or dancing with a couple of people, you know, you're not really part of that crowd. So, um, yeah, but I've no interest in going out. So big, I totally get that it needs sponsorship because it's become, it's, it's to a place now where to put that event on takes a lot of money, Mm. but you are still the organization putting on that event. And in my opinion, there could be a lot more forcefulness done about, decreasing the party and the tight bums and the glitter and everything a little bit and increasing the politics a little bit. And I believe if if an organisation, and I won't name names in terms of sponsors, but I believe if an organisation, no matter how big or small, wants to uh, support our community, then pay for the float of one of our community organisations. Have a small thing of your logo somewhere on that float but don't use your float for your organization as a means of trying to get the pink dollar and advertising because our Mardi Gras now goes throughout the world. And if you want to make some money from us, honey, then you give us some money. Sorry, but that's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, it's been a real pleasure to hear such a, um, an upfront and, uh, very personal uh, stance on the Mardi Gras from two people who've been very involved in it for a a very long time so thank you so much for joining us on the show um, and giving us some some real insight probably the best insight we've had so far on the show into an event uh, in in what now 42 years ago thank you so much
2: thank you
0: You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM. That was Throwback Thursday, 1978. And don't forget to join us at the same time next week. We're moving on to 1979. Thank you for helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years by tuning in to Throwback Thursday. Don't forget to join us at the same time next week. We're going to be discussing the opening of the Great Barrier Reef as a national park on the 20th of October, 1979.